0: My name is Ed. Uh, Leslie is going to. My wife is going to be coming up a little bit later, to share a little bit. We're we're very happy to be here. We're very uh, humbled to be here, to be with you, and um, and you you have a, an amazing, amazing thing going here in this place. Uh, dedicating your lives to one another, and committing your lives to the Lord what he's going to do with this is unknown but it's going to be good and it's and it's going to move this part of the world I I believe that um last night we we uh, covered some ground with uh the covenant and um we looked at Luke twenty-two, and and so I'd I'd like to to give some basic principles, uh, both for review, for you and I, but also for s- some that maybe weren't here last night to kind of get a quick uh, catch-up. Excuse me, in what in what happened last night. So um, so one of the the first principle is. The covenant is a binding of lives together. It's not a contract, uh, an agreement for goods or services or both. It's not even a commitment, a promise, but it is the binding of lives together. And that was most clearly stated, I think, with the Genesis 15 example of the animals being split, and so be it with me if I do not live out this binding of my life to yours. And key there is that we can't do it, <laughs> which which doesn't mean that our effort is excused. We need to 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 put forth effort, but it means that without him, without his grace, without the cross, we can't do it. So that's freeing. That's, that's a freeing thing. Um, the binding of our lives together is a familial-like bond. And when the scriptures talk about the body of Christ, they talk about family. They use family terms. Right? So it's something like a family being connected in a very deep way. Um, this this covenant relationship. So it's not just functional. You know, Brad leads the meeting. You know, Kara is over there playing her guitar. No, it's it's not just functional. Okay. But it's deeper than that. It's being a member. It's be binding our lives together. It's intimate. Uh, so the covenant is the binding of lives together. Second, uh, the covenant establishes a foundation for the future. Um, it's built upon uh, uh, the promises that we can make to one another are built upon the covenant. Okay. So we have a covenant together, and with that, we can do things for the future. We can see into the future and go confidently into the future because ultimately because Jesus loves us and died for us. That's that's what that's the that's the that's the basis of it. But also we we live in a body. We we need one another to be with each other. Okay. And I'll be talking more about that in a few minutes. So the covenant establishes a foundation for the future. And the covenant will be tested. We talked quite a bit about that. Um, Part of the reason is that Satan despises and hates the covenant. He hates when people come together around and in the love of Jesus Christ. The evil one is dedicated to destroying that. God's chosen people is a history, <laughs> really is. God's chosen people is a history of people, in a sense, under attack. Uh, it's been that way, and it's that way now, and it's getting, I mean, we've had really a tremendous run in this country over the last couple hundred years. It's been tremendous. Uh, that's unique. Um, that's unique, that that probably will not last I hate to say that because I love our life right I love the freedom we have God uses conflict next principle God uses conflict and difficulty to remove obstacles to unity have you found that God God uses conflict and difficulty to remove obstacles to unities. Things like self-concern, criticalness, independent spirit, pride, those kind of things. Covenant life is part of God's ways and means committee to purify us and make us holy. All right. Um, the last thing that I mentioned last night is that, that there are three ways that this, this new covenant that Jesus made with us, there are, there are three main ways that we need to move into to live that covenant successfully. And one of them I said I'm not talking about much today this weekend but it's the it's the concept of mission okay that's very vital uh the great commission to go out to have a purpose to 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 bring others into this life to show others this life but the other two we're going to talk about right now (laughs) and and uh uh The one we'll talk about in a while is holiness of of life and holiness as a body. And right now we're going to talk about the need to join our lives together. And the title of this talk is Are We in This Alone? I've asked myself that question (laughs) Am I in this alone? Are we in this alone? And then the need to join our lives together. We know John 3.16. How about 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down uh, his life for us, and we too must lay down our lives for the brethren. We too must lay down our lives for the brethren. We're supposed to have a life together. That's what that verse says, right? We're supposed to live for one another. We're supposed to lay down our lives for one another. We're supposed to have a life together. And again, we see so much of that in St. Paul's letters as he's writing to these churches, wondering how they are doing. And, and he writes about we're a holy nation, a royal people, a body. We're brothers and sisters. So it's all presumed that we have this life together. So I love the church. love the sacraments. Go to daily mass. But it's hard to see the life together in many respects in a parish. Okay. And that's one of the things that we can give to the church. We can give them a real example of a life together. I know some of you, when you walk into a restaurant, I know this happened with us when a few years ago, you walk in with seven kids and you sit down and they're, you know, they're not perfect. They, but they're not but they're also not melting. Well, sometimes they did melt down. <laughs> but most of the time, they're not melting down and throwing food all over. And people would routinely come up to our table and say, they just want to talk to us. Like, what? what's going on here? You know, wow, you, you're, you're able to do this? You know, and I'm sure some of you have had that experience that just with your family or with your marriage, you are a light to other people. So much more As you join your lives together as a body, will you be a light? The Surgeon General, under President Obama, uh, was Vivek Murthy. Now, the things that I'm going to talk about for the next five minutes are totally secular. I'm going to add a couple Christian things to it, but this is like secular stuff. I didn't get this from any kind of Christian periodical or reading or news story. This is secular stuff. And so our Surgeon General, um, 2014 to 2017, said During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. It was loneliness. Social science researchers define loneliness as the emotional state created when people have fewer social contacts and meaningful relationships than they would like. That's very subjective, isn't it? Super subjective, but loneliness is in a sense a subjective state, isn't it? Um, University of UCLA, has a, a loneliness scale and they ask 20 questions, if I can read some of them. Um, I feel left out. Sometimes, often, never, you know, are the, the, is the choices. I am unhappy during many of my days. I have no one to talk to. Okay, these are these are subjective answers, but people, secular people are talking about this because it's a crisis. It's a crisis on college campuses and we're not necessarily exempt either from from this. So there was a survey done by Cigna Insurance Company in 2018, just last year. 20,000 people were part of this survey, 20,000 American adults, and it was found that almost half of the respondents reported feeling alone, left out, and isolated. Further one in four Americans shared that they really rarely felt understood and one in five people that they rarely felt close to anyone, alone. And you might ask, what's the cause? And they came up with some causes, some reasons why this is the case. One cause is the addiction to work, and the increasingly transient nature of work as americans leave family and hometowns behind in search of larger paychecks i'm going to add something here i think one of the one of the corollaries to this is not just the increased and transient nature of work but it's not marking our days, not marking time. And part of how we do that is our weeks. And what is the center of your week? It should be the Lord's Day. It used to be in ancient times, in Roman times or Greek times, It was day one, day two, day three, day four, day 50, day 70, day 80, day 90. It was just a constant sifting through of days and life became pretty quickly meaningless, right? We in the community are trying to resurrect a commandment of keeping holy the Lord's day. And what we do, is we mark time and time begins to have meaning around the one who created us. And the Lord's day isn't just going to mass. It isn't just that little ceremony that we have. That's pretty helpful though, because it increases the possibility of having hospitality and people over and so on. But part of the Lord's day is prayer, silence, study, family, nature, okay, occasionally, maybe a football game. <laughs> maybe you can get read, you know, we'll, we'll see. <clears throat> but mostly it's about this other stuff these other important parts of life, reading. So so the increasingly transient nature of work is one of the reasons for loneliness. A second cause stems from independence. Independence. (laughs) By which we live our lives being accountable to no one. I think and believe what I want. I decide for myself but I get my information from the same impersonal source that everybody else does don't I you know I remember when I was a kid you know I had these blue suede bell bottoms they were I was I was one of a kind and and I I didn't wear socks. No socks. You know, that was that was cool too. You know, I was being my own person, right? And and my hair was longer. I was my own person, but so was every everybody else had bell bottoms and no socks and long hair too. You know. In any in any case, there's this quest for for being independent And independence very naturally leads to being isolated, doesn't it? certainly can. And a third cause for this increased loneliness, and I'm sure there are others, but I'm just going to go through three of them, is a lack of human connection. A lack of human connection, which ultimately leads to a lack of vitality. And what I mean by that is there's a disconnect between your mind and your body. So, so people are doing things in their mind, but they're not, they're not connected totally. You know, it's a little bit like um, talking to Brad or talking to Brad on the phone you know there's there's a difference and we have gotten so we, we've we've kept stepping back through our technology and the digital realm it was found that individuals who logged in to their device for a half an hour per day felt less lonely compared with individuals who logged in for two hours. Okay, that, that makes sense as part of the Cigna survey. Participants who logged in nine times week, weekly felt, uh, felt less isolated when compared with respondents who checked in for 50 times per day. It was interesting, last um, spring, I did a talk for the pastoral leaders in the community of Christ the Redeemer on pornography. And part of what I wanted to do was I wanted to connect and have some conversations with Rob Williams. Does anybody know Rob? F- few people know Rob. Rob is now in the seminary uh, uh, for the diocese in Oklahoma. And 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 as I was uh, talking to Rob, he said, you know, you know, Ed, I I don't really think pornography is the issue. He said, I think media is the issue. He said, My guys, and he said, including Netflix, Facebook, gaming, surfing, pornography, sports, fantasy sports, my guys are, are looking at a screen between six and seven hours a day. A day. That that, it, 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 that isn't good for us. We're, <laughs> we're finding out that, that that hasn't been good. If social media is a stop on the line as you're going somewhere, picture yourself on the train, on the light rail. If it's a stop on the line that you're going somewhere, that's probably okay. But if it's your last stop, you're in trouble. If everyone is out there for you, no one is out there for you. <laughs> if you have many, many friends, you probably don't have many friends. OK? With all the c- means of communication out there, one of the things that I ask myself, and, and I'm, listen, I'm when I point the finger, there's three Fingers pointing back at me, I'm not speaking at you, I'm speaking with you. Because I struggle with this as well. And and one of the things I ask myself is: with all this technology, do I have a better relationship with my mother? You know, I, I think that's a that's a great question to ask. Are the people that you really should love? Are you you able to love them? And if you're not, then I think we have to take a long, hard look at our life and see what changes we might need to make. So this winter, I had the wonderful experience of doing Exodus 90. Which, which is a program of um, asceticism. And one of the things that came out of that was, of course, we were reading the book of Exodus. And um, there, was, there was a Bible study in there that, that just really stuck with me. Pharaoh knew in Egypt, he knew the power of the Hebrews in Egypt. He knew that they were powerful. And they didn't maybe know that, but he knew that. He was astute. And in his shrewdness, he ordered them to make more bricks, to keep looking down, keep making more bricks. And one of the things that we talk about in uh, up in St. Paul, in our community there, is pace of life <laughs> we're talking you know every it seems like every discussion pace of life makes it makes makes it out there right keep them busy keep in the rat race don't look up don't see God just keep looking down keep making more bricks you know and I I run two businesses and I can tell you about it I can definitely tell you about it We don't realize how powerful our life together is and could be. We end up getting distracted away in this busy life we have, and sometimes we're majoring in the minors. We're doing stuff that isn't the really important stuff. I live near the University of St. Thomas, and I see the students walking to class. They don't see me (laughs) because they're looking down, right? I'm going to share a couple of prophetic words with you. Uh, these are prophetic words one of them eighty five one of them two thousand thirteen, another one two thousand thirteen but they're about this topic of joining our lives together and and I just want to say before I read them this isn't scripture that doesn't this doesn't have the 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 authority of scripture but it is it is um, The Logos is Scripture, God's eternal Word. This is the Rema, God's now Word. It never contradicts Scripture, but it may help us to internalize God's Logos in a more clear way. So I'd like to read these, and and they're being passed out. My people. I have called you together because I intend to use you. I intend to raise an army that will be a body of people totally submitted to me. Are you willing to serve? Second, I have gathered you here and I will tell you what I am doing. I am knitting you together. I am forming you as members of my body, not just my body, but the body of my son. For I tell you, this night, this very night, I am raising up a body for my son to inhabit and to dwell in. My son will not be daunted. My son Will not be discouraged. My son will set his face like flint, and he will do it all of my will. He will do all my will, says the Lord. Third, remember that I have called you to be together, to be a people. It is no accident that I have called you together in this time. There is power in being together. There is also a cost in being together. You must let go of what holds you back from being one body. Remember who you are. Remember my call to you. Live the way of life I've called you to live, for I tell you, as you do, you will become fully alive. You'll be drawing more closely to me. God has brought forth covenant community as a way for us to not fall into isolation and loneliness and despair. Do you see it? Do you see it? Way back in the '80s, in the late '70s, as early as 1967, the Lord birthed into life this movement. And what was what was society like then? It was very different from when it, from from now. In terms of isolation, it was worlds different. There was a lot of community life going on then. But God, in his wisdom, knew what the future held. And and we are a part of what God brought forth for this time, for this age, for this time of isolation, and loneliness. He has brought this community. He has brought this life for your kids, for my kids, for us, for the church. The power of friendship. The power of friendship. I I, I really pity men today because it's even hard for us to get close because there's all this other stuff that's associated with men getting close in this culture, this crazy culture that we live in. Friendship, mutual interest in the good of another. Mutual interest in the good of the other was Aristotle's definition of a friend as opposed to being interested in that person for pleasure, which was another one of his categories, or for utility. I just need you to complete my stuff, to work for me. But the kind of friendship that the Lord has blessed us with, that we are trying to revive, is the friendship that has a concern for the other, and especially their whole life, including their family life, their their finances, their children, how they're doing in terms of isolation or loneliness, all of those kinds of things. I just wanted to stick this in because I'm so excited about St. John Henry Newman, who was who was elevated to sainthood this week, John Henry Newman, said, no one, man nor woman, can stand alone. So we are constituted by nature. In other words, a fancy way of saying, we are social beings. (laughs) We need one another. It's interesting. Saint John Henry Newman sustained many friendships in by corresponding to others, and he wrote twenty thousand letters, filling thirty-two volumes. He was a good friend, and he was a saint. C.S. Lewis says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us, kept us apart. But for the Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Can truly be said to every group of Christians, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and our good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument which God reveals to each of us the beauty of the other. Don't you wish I could talk like that? <laughs> Some around you are not necessarily friends, as you would define them in the common meaning, but they're your brothers and sisters. In your life, together, you're being fired together like living stones to withstand the erosion of the test of time. What's required to join our lives together? I'll go through these kind of quickly. What do we need? Dependence on God, yielding to God, relationship with God, intimacy with God. He is my brother. He is the love of my life. That's number one. We need to be sold out to Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate friend our ultimate brother In the early days of the charismatic renewal we used the phrase Jesus is Jesus is Lord That's what we need We need humility to see Christ in yourself that he is a good, good father. Being humble means that we are, being, we are teachable. We don't know it all. To be a good friend, we need to be not only humble but patient because growth and friendship happens slowly. Trust happens slowly over time. We need courage. takes a lot of courage to be a good friend. Vulnerability takes courage, right? Sharing from your gut, asking for forgiveness, calling someone on, that's a good friend. Being master of your tongue, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's always been a tough one for me to try to keep my tongue in check. There's so, there's so many times when we speak without thinking or just let it kind of go, that we can erode some trust that has been built over time. I'd say, and one of the things I tell my young married couples is, don't compare. Set a very high standard for you, and if if your spouse is willing, for you and your spouse. Set a high standard. But don't set a super high standard for others. Give them mercy. That's the way to build community life. Set Set a high standard for you and mercy for others. I'd like to um, do one more thing before inviting Leslie up to give some testimony. The evil one does not want us to join our lives together. Okay. The evil one does not wanna join our lives together. And I'd like to use Mark 5 to illustrate this point one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Now, we have a lot of younger couples with children. So we get this, right? My daughter is at the point of death. I mean, can you... I. You know, thankfully, all of my children are living. I just can't even fathom what that would be like. My, my daughter is at the point of death. And the people around said, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has died. And Jesus said, disregard that message. He disregarded the message. Okay? In our building community life together, we need to disregard, we need to do battle with some of the messages that come into our head. What might those be? I'm not a son. I'm not a daughter. I'm not worthy to be a brother. I'm not worthy to be a sister to anyone. I can't change. It's too hard. The the brothers, the sisters, the small group, they don't care. They don't care. Disregard those messages. They're not true. I'm telling you. My sin is unique to me. No, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not. It's common. It's common for ask for forgiveness, move on. But there there are things that we need to disregard, and there are things that we need to listen to. And this is work. This is the battle. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I am a son. I am a daughter. I have brothers and sisters. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. One of the great blessings of the heart of the Redeemer is that in this age of loneliness, we're not alone. We have one another. God has built an antidote for the sin of this age. You are needed in each other's lives. You have a place. God has given you a home.
1: All right. Hello. <laughs> I get to share all my personal struggles and sins and things. Content is easy, you know. I can just (laughs) share principles with you, or I can share my self. (laughs) Actually, what what I'm going to share with you was really, really on Thursday when I was alone talking to myself so we'll see how it goes now Um, also part of what I'm going to share is kind of my story right so you can relate or not that's the problem with a more personal kind of testimony um, so so I'm not necessarily going to try to share things that I think are common to everyone. Um, like, for example, I don't know that I've ever been lonely. <laughs> I've been alone and happy. <laughs> so... <laughs> So a little backstory story that, that uh, briefly, um, I lived in a family where there was just four of us. I had one sister four years older than me. And my sister and I were very different. Um, she liked wearing a baseball cap on backwards and playing baseball and taking her bicycle apart, which she had painted black. And, you know, she was just what in the 50s they called a tomboy. And I wore as many petticoats as I possibly could and little plastic high heels and I played with dolls and she thought I was a twerp and a knucklehead and she didn't really want to play with me. And at some point, I really didn't blame her. <coughs> uh, she didn't want to play with dolls. So we, we weren't really close and to make sure that we didn't fight, my parents had this brilliant idea of giving us all our own stuff. And when you only have two children, you can do that. I've told my children about my growing up life, and they just think I was so spoiled because there were seven of them. They didn't have their own anything. They didn't even have their own bed. They had nothing. Ice cream cone, we're sharing it. (laughs) Everyone gets one lick. So my life was quite different didn't share anything, didn't have to work anything out. I, had, I could watch my own TV show, listen to my own music. I was in my own little world, in my own little room, and I was really happy. Uh, add to that, we moved almost every year, so I went to six elementary schools and three high schools, and so friends were pretty expendable. You know, if I didn't get along with you, we were going to move, so I'll just play my Barbies by myself, and I'd rather anyway because I can make them do what I want them to do. So playing by myself was great, and it was fun, and I got used to that. So um, I think the the thing that can really relate is the the family we grew up in and the experiences that we had really do affect how we relate to people in community, and, and to our life in community, and to our brothers and sisters in community, right? Uh, Some of you are, you know, grow up quite differently than me, and that has affected how you've related to your small group and to the people around you and even community in general. Do I really want to go into this? Some of you jumped in head first because you're like, I love this. So, and I think a lot of it is because of how you were raised and how you grew up. And those things that either cause us to dive in or hold back or, the obstacles we have in our relationships are actually, if you really look at it, are really similar, if not the same, to the way we relate to God. The same kind of barriers, the same kind of blocks, the same fears, the same excitement, the same um, ability to be close. Um, It's really parallel, and I think community really does surface a lot of those things in a good way, and when you see those things, coming up in you like, why am I reacting this way? Or why does this bother me? Or why am I excited about this? Um, You can say, well, this has actually been affecting my life in the Lord for a really long time. So that's helpful to see. So at first, uh, you could probably guess, coming into community, we, we already had a family. I think I was pregnant with my third child when we actually got into a small group. So I was already busy in my home, and I was pretty happy, you know, and I didn't feel this need for sisters, right, because I hadn't had one, and I was a pretty self-contained unit, and I was in my family, and we weren't really in a cluster, and I'd never lived in a household, so my relationships, especially with women, were slow, you know, I'd go to a gathering, and people that I talked to and I liked it but I liked the teachings I liked the worship I like you know I'd given my life to the Lord and we were involved in the charismatic renewal and I loved worship and um, I loved the way of life it was the people that <laughs> was kind of hard to to feel a need for you know really I think it was more you know I, I would be in a small group and Um, I'd share a little bit, but I didn't really feel this need because I felt like I'm good, I'm fine, I don't need you, and what do you have to say to me anyway? Um, So, that was great. (laughs) Took me a while. So the breakthrough for me was um, gradually, if if you hang around long enough, they start to ask you to do things, and they think you know things. And we started leading small groups, and... uh, so, I went in our community for the women's retreat. If you're leading a group, you get to go a day early on Thursday and have an extra day. And Thursday night, you know, we're together, and it's a much smaller group of women, which is kind of cool. So, I'm <clears throat> my first retreat that I'm going early, I'm walking down the hall, and there's this woman walking down the hall with a bottle of wine, and she's like, Hey, come on into our room. You know, we're just hanging out. And I'm thinking, Okay. That's great. Went in there and there were a couple of women. One of the women was one of the women that was speaking on the women's retreat and I knew this is intense. She's spiritual. She's so deep and she's prayerful. And she's sitting there drinking wine, painting her toenails, telling stories. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. This is what women do. <laughs> they hang out. <laughs> And I, it was so fun, and we were laughing, and just, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but we definitely weren't praying over one another. You know, we were just having fun. And then the next year, I kind of connected with this other woman, and we were driving around, and I ended up on the sidewalk at this camp, and we got in trouble because it was a sidewalk, and I thought it was a road, and (laughs) it just seemed like everything we did was just crazy. And I stayed up late and played cards. And again, we were just laughing and telling stories. And I just was looking around thinking, wow, I like them. <laughs> I have friends. So it it was really through, I'm emotional because I'm exhausted, but I, it was really through fun, just really having fun with these women because I think um, I didn't hang out with my sister. We didn't talk. We didn't go out. We didn't um share stuff, Um, and so that was a a gap that I had. I had lots of things from my family that were great, and uh, very secure, and it was a good family, but we were pretty isolated, pretty separate. Um, Didn't have a lot of shared life together, and so what community did for me was help me to just learn how to have relationships with these women, and hang out, and have friendships, and enjoy them, and just really have fun. So, so now, you know, women's retreat for me, the Lord does speak, and I do pray, and it's really good, but I still kind of struggle with it, you know, after the Saturday night prayer meeting. when is it going to be over because I just want to go hang out <laughs> with these women? <laughs> so true confessions. But that, you know, that's really been a healing for me. So, um, so yeah, I just feel like this place, the Lord can, can heal us through one another. And, you know, we we came into community with a lot. I think we were given a lot by the Lord, and maybe you had a relationship with the Lord before you came here. But this is a place where the Lord can really start to surface things that you didn't know were there or gaps that you need filled. And he uses us, he uses um, one another for that, for that healing and for that, um, just that blessing. So... So I, I think, you know, just the two things that it, at the beginning it was hard for me. So if you're kind of feeling like, I don't know if I know anybody and I don't have any friends and I haven't found a kindred spirit and, you know, that kind of thing, um, it was hard for me and it took years. I mean, it was years before I had that women's retreat where things broke through. Um, it takes time. And, and secondly, um, just look around. It's, it's, uh, it's just such a blessing to to have these people in our lives, which, whether we've chosen them or not. I have some friends that are, I would have never chosen them, but they've been so good for me, and older women and younger women. and um, So I'm just grateful. So thanks, that's me.